Hello and welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful, fully curricular episode of Normandy FM. Folks, I'm one of your co-hosts here, Eric Van Allen, joined by Ken Shepard. As always, Ken, how you doing? Eric, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Uh-huh. I completely forgot everything about this episode until 20 minutes ago when I rewatched the entire thing on two times speed on YouTube. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. How could you forget? I, I don't we're going to talk about this in a moment, but it has been a while. That is the main driver, I imagine, is that it has been a while mm-hmm. since we actually played this section. Because as we talked about in our last episode, there have been some life complications that came up that kind of shifted our entire schedule around. And we are only just now. Yes, Poe, we are only just now getting back to uh, recording any of this. But we have a lovely guest joining us for that recording it is the one, the only Isaiah D. Colbert. Isaiah, Isaiah, how are you doing? Oh, man. Speaking of circumstances, ooh. I'm <laughs> so true. I'm, I'm doing, I guess. Life's doing me more than I'm doing life, but we're, we're you know, getting through each day at a mm-hmm. time, I, I suppose, would be my my positive spin on it. Me a couple hours mm-hmm. ago where it's on a different wavelength, but I'm, I'm presenting mm-hmm. myself here, so I'm mm-hmm. being a little more yeah, positive. We vibe, we flow. We go where it takes us. Mm-mm. So, Isaiah, we like to start episodes on the show asking people, first off, like, what is your history with the Near series? Like, what is it that draws mm-hmm. you to this? Okay. So, mine is, um, I guess, to say, like, to start. So, I first kind of got introduced into Near because I, um, my, before I even got into game journalism, I uh, used to listen to the um, Castle Super Beast, formerly known as Super Best Friends. And mm. it's like a video game podcast that like had been going around like since like the Machinima days and like still ongoing, although it's also kind of transformed over time. But um, some of the people there would mention uh, this YouTuber named Klimps who did like a breakdown, like retrospective on the like, Nier and Drakengard series. And that's basically where I got my start into it. Like mm. I'd been aware of the series a bit in like passing, but. I'd like gotten like a full like deep dive, like almost H bomber guy type of like dive into like just mm. what all the Drakengard games kind of were and what like the first near game was just kind of like prime myself for like what near automata could be. So I kind of got my start there and I think it was like when I first got a PS4 pro, like in my, I think sophomore year of college, I was like, I'm going to, get like my first two games i think were horizon zero dawn and near automata because i was like i'm gonna start here because i've Mm. heard a lot of good things about these two things and it's become kind of like one of those like formative games that like kind of like sure almost challenged in a way like my perception of like what games could be obviously i guess in my being more seasoned with games now and like kind of getting more used to like what the director yokotaro kind of does i've gotten a little bit more used to his like isms and even got sure. to interview him at Anime Expo to kind of talk about those isms a little bit. But yeah, it's just become like one of those games where like I like kind of think back to whether it's just like the gameplay or like the story that happens with like either it near Automata or near Replicant or just listening to the soundtrack just like as a thing on my daily. It's just like kind of my experience with the series. When it when it came to picking out your section for the near uh portions of this what spoke to you about this specific one that we're going to talk about today which is kind of the end of what i would say part one of near replicant is. yeah so this would be like for me like whenever i think of near like think about yokotarisms it's always just like the 
first act rug pull that would happen where like the mm-hmm. game is at a point like where you think it's going to be but then it like does the i guess like first act thing where it kind of challenges or changes your perception of what the game is kind of going for so this was kind of the scene where like it feels like a pre-anime time skip where like all the characters are in like a <laughs> being challenged in a way that they're super <laughs> underwhelmed like oh they're overwhelmed for and under level to handle and it just kind of like reinforces like the different like ways characters are like fleshed out and just kind of like makes you more motivated to play to just sort of help these characters reach a happier ending so this was kind of like the mm. moment where it was like okay buckle up this is what the near experience is up until this point it's just been kind of like set dressing getting you familiar with the world getting you familiar with the characters and it's like now here's what happens when the characters are like put in a situation where mm-hmm. they may not make it out of it and just where they build off from there. So that was just kind of like the like big rallying cry to me as a player to be more interested in the series and what it had going for, sure. for it. Heck yeah. Well, we're going to talk all about that today because today is the day that we talk about the end of part one, I would say, of Near Replicant. If you're just tuning in, if you're just uh, hopping on as a newcomer to the show, hi, we're Norm DFM. We are a retrospective podcast, and this is Near Replicant that we're on, but we've covered a bunch of other stuff in the past, like Mass Effect, Dragon Age, Jade Empire, that sort of thing. You can go check out our backlogs if you want to look at those, but that's letting everybody at home know that, yes, this is a Near Replicant episode. I feel like I have to point that out because we just did a bio bit, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and no spoilers for what's coming down the pipeline, but the next podcast this month from us will also not be a Near or even Bioware episode. <laughs> <laughs> We're really just mixing it all up uh, in December, but uh, we are still doing Near Replicant, and we're, we're starting today with heading back to the village uh, at this point. In, in really in Ken's playthrough, uh, we've <laughs> gathered all of the sealed verses and they're all in tow. And now we just need to find Grimoire Noir to try and uh, heal Yona. That's kind of our working hypothesis at this point that we get all the magic words in the book and our Grimoire Vice will be able to heal Yona with the power of Grimoire Noir. So Nier and Vice go to visit Yona, who's uh, trying to get up around despite her illness uh near encourages her to lie back down and tucks her in and reassures her that he will find the cure um she really you know tightens the screws a little bit it turns the knife i don't want you to hate me because of this terrible disease (laughs) um i really do like the the older brother relationship i know we've talked a few times on the pod here uh, including with our guest from a previous episode tatum about the difference between dad near and mm-hmm. big brother near and there is kind of an interesting difference between the two uh and i know some folks like the specifically the relationship that an older like father figure near does have with a daughter yona but uh, maybe it's just me as like an older brother i really do like the mm. the sort of sibling bond that happens here of like an older sibling taking care of a younger yeah. sibling uh, mm-hmm. And I think it really comes through in this moment uh, as we go into this like big pivotal points. But yeah, we, <laughs> I, I, I took the notes for this episode, by the way. And one of my notes here is Ken run pa- Ken runs past a legion of NPCs whose side quests will remain unfinished. Uh, frowny face. Rip for them. I got shit to do. That's always yeah. a thing too. Trying to figure out, okay, which quests will still be active or is this like yeah. a one and mm-hmm. done so for them? And, and in my defense, I don't think I was really aware at the time that what was going to happen and this was going to happen. 
And mm. so I, I could have, I, I thought that I could have theoretically <laughs> gone back and done those things, but uh, I guess not. that's not going to affect me getting like all the weapons for no. this. No. Okay. No, I, I have plot. I have plotted that out for you. I know which side quests you need to be doing. Uh, okay. I will say it's a really weird thing in near replicant. Uh, I, I feel like near automata had this too, but especially near replicant, a lot of the side quests content wise are really are, are fine. Um, and, and by content wise, I should clarify gameplay wise. You, you're kind of just doing the things that you have already been doing in the game mm-hmm. and you just go and do more of them and then come back. And sometimes, uh, it's really interesting what happens. I think some of them have really interesting payoff. There's one that I had forgotten about and that I was reminded of uh, from a completely unrelated source uh, sometime last month about uh, a character uh, whose like girlfriend runs away. And that entire plot line plays out over the course of the game and ends in a really, really interesting place. And we'll talk about that when we get there. Uh, but the problem with some of the side quests is that they are slow burns and you don't know which ones are going to pay mm. off in really interesting mm. ways and which ones are just kind of there as it feels like the designers needed a way to give you cash to be able to afford sure. some of the weapons that you have to buy in this game as well as some of the other crafting components and things like that if you engage with that side of the game i don't really think you need to but um, yeah. there's it's, there's like mm. various sections of the game that i i mean frankly when I played near replicant the first time I never bought things from a shop unless they were a weapon yeah. that I needed. And because mm. you just kind of get given a lot of good things. And so yeah. shopping is kind of not really important unless you're trying to like platinum this game. So, uh, I think a lot of this stuff is fine to skip if we are trying to focus on the things we are focusing on. Right. Uh, I mean, and we can it, talk more about some of that later. Because it's interesting that you say that, because like, the more I think about it now, I feel like I'm... It's just something that I'm kind of realizing as, as we're playing through the game, is that I don't feel like I'm having to engage with a lot of the... A lot of even the RPG elements of this game, because like, I feel like the sort of um, standard hack-and-slash strategies that you use in these fights tends mm-hmm. to be enough. Like I don't, I don't feel like I've really engaged with a lot of the uh, the words and all these other like little things that can, you know make numbers go up and down. It doesn't really feel like a lot of that has felt really necessary or even rewarding to work with yet. I don't know if that gets any better by the time that the game you know, gets later and thing, and difficulty spikes are happening. But uh, in this early section, I don't feel like I've felt compelled to look into much of that at all. I don't think that's an outside like opinion. I definitely sure. I was thinking about this the other day when you were looking at some of the words and I was like, oh yeah, this game has such a cool idea where you get these adjectives and the adjectives can be attached to words that are on weapons that then make them hit harder or do different things and i remember that being a really cool idea but then it was something that i really left untouched until i hit a wall in the game and then i would just kind of flip open my menu and be like oh okay i need to just like equip better words and now Mm -hmm. i can move on it wasn't something i was constantly adjusting whereas near automata when we get to that i feel like the chipsets and some of the build stuff, especially around uh, the way that characters like to be or not to be um, 9s play and, and the way you can like kit them out to be leaning towards different aspects of their combat is really, really interesting. And even if that stuff also feels, you know, perfunctory outside of the main, you know, unless you're going outside of the main quest, 
uh, it's it's a little bit more interactive and engaging and just kind of like fiddly in an interesting way there. Whereas here, I I think I like the concept, but I don't know that the idea does as much for me, like, like in mm. practice. Mm. Yeah. Whenever I like try to recall, because it's always like depending on the day where I'm just like, which game do I prefer when it comes to like near replicant or near automata? I'm always just like, I for sure prefer the combat better in near automata, but like every time I think about it, like in for now an instance, I'm just like, I feel like the overall story or like the brushstroke of the story for near replicant kind of hit harder for me. Like when it comes to the particulars of like side quests and stuff like that, they feel mm -hmm. probably a little less memorable to me than Automata, but that might also just be kind of a bit of recency bias coming into play. Sure. But mm. yeah, it like that one always felt more like touch and go when it comes to like kind of guessing which quests will branch out into some like bigger payoff. But yeah, I'd say, yeah, definitely Replicant in my head still would be like one of the stronger stories of the two. One of the other strengths, I think, is the cast of this mm. game. And um, as I note, uh, here we go, because here comes Emil running through the town gate, looking weary and collapsing. Uh, Popola thinks he's just fatigued from running all the way to the town from his mansion uh, without sight. Uh, and he says that the air is vibrating and senses that shades are on their way to attack the village and that they're just outside, like just behind him. Um by the way, Ken gets a new loading screen talking about <laughs> subject with a white chlorination syndrome. Boy, that's weird, huh? <laughs> oh, you mean like the the shit from? Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll hold uh, on to something I was about to say till the very end. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Put a pin in it. Put a pin in it. Uh, we'll talk about it at the end. Uh, and I, I promise not to say anything more than what we know up to this point. Uh, okay. Anyways, Shades break through the gates and charge into the village, uh, and Devola meets Nier on the bridge and says she is setting off to gather everyone in the library, and Nier rushes to fight the Shades, aggressively screaming, I'll kill every last one of you. <laughs> uh, and we, we basically have a big fight inside the town, and I think this was the moment that Nier Replicant really showed itself to me, because I, I played Automata before I played Nier Replicant, and... I think up to this point, I was waiting for the the near moment. Kind of the thing that you were talking about earlier, Isaiah, the the, the Yoko Taro turn mm. of something has now happened. And while I think the ones that people remember from Automata happen later in that game, there is one very early on when you were on that first mission uh, and, and the black boxes is all I'll say. Mm. But uh, it's, it's like the first thing you do in Automata. And... I think the the interesting thing here is that we have gotten pretty much halfway into the game of what's for the most part been a pretty fairly standard, you know, third person action adventure game with some light shooty elements. Uh, but I wouldn't say that it's been uh, there's been some cool mechanics. There's been some neat ideas and obviously incredible design and stuff like that. But I think comparisons to most other third person action adventure games feel understandable at this point. I can easily see like mm -hmm. a gaming mag from the time being like, this is Zelda. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't think that that would carry weight, but I would see why they would make that like rough comparison. And so this, this moment where the shades invade the town sticks out to me because it is, I love any moment where you were 
in a place that was previously a safe place, like mm. a, a hub area that had a, a feeling of serenity to it. Uh, the way that you would walk in and you would hear Devla and Popola playing their music and you hear it kind of drift through the town as you were going through here and doing stuff or picking up side quests or whatever. And now there are just people fighting in the streets and giant shades attacking. And there's suddenly a sense of like, things are going to change. Like mm. this is, this is a no going back point for this video game, uh, which obviously comes to fruition shortly but i i love the moment when the game says hey we are attacking your base mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it it's it's to use a mass effect comparison uh which feels oh, fitting yeah. for our podcast this is mass effect 2 yeah this is mass effect 2 when when the the reapers not the reapers the uh collectors, the collectors take the shit mm-hmm. yeah um and i guess for another space-ish reference it's almost like the predating the dead space elevator slash save room not being an actual safe space kind of mm-hmm. thing too. oh i forgot about that that one's so good oh <laughs> dead space a good video game yeah uh we should do dead space on arm dfm so i can make ken play dead space 3. <laughs> I, oh i would say like, i played the first two but yeah that, that was the one i did not play never mind i look i played dead space 3 and i barely remember dead space 3 mm-hmm. that that even playable game. on anything modern these days that's a co-op Probably. game, right? We could play it together. Yeah. Oh, that would be a great charity stream is the two of us playing Dead Space 3. <laughs> Honestly, the two of us playing any... Although, I don't know. I feel like we gel on co-op games because you and I played Escape Academy together and Operation Tango. And, and a way out. And a way out. And we even did an escape room together, too. And Yeah, that worked. That was fine. Frankly, maybe, maybe we're were, not as dysfunctional as we think we are. No, we're dysfunctional when it comes to opinions. But when we're solving Mm. puzzles, we're exactly on the same wavelength. (laughs) Unless it's in a scary room. (laughs) You guys definitely need to play Resident Evil 6 like just for me. Oh, Oh, shit. (laughs) We we had jokingly thought about doing a Resident Evil playthrough like like the entire series. Mm. Uh, But it's like too many games. But. It's a lot of games, but it would get really fun the further in we got and the more ridiculous that Resident Evil gets because, mm. you know, 0, 1, 2, 3, they're, they're silly. They're, I'm mm. not saying they're like very like uh, serious, but I, I don't know. They, they have the right mix of campy horror and serious horror. And then you get to like four and you have Leon just kicking people in the chest and being like everybody went to bingo and stuff like yeah. that and then by like six they've just jumped the shark and they had to hit the big old reset button mm-hmm. and do a prestige tv horror game in resident evil 7 and that's not i'm not saying that derogatorily that is a good video game but it is very much them trying to do like what what if true detective was a horror game and mm. stuff like that uh, this is not a Resident Evil podcast, though, so I'll stop that <laughs> thought there. Um, anyways, a giant shade is attacking the town. Oh, my God. Uh, the shade moves deeper and deeper into the village with each step making its way towards the library. And you're kind of doing this really uh, interesting fight where you are having to just find ways to even hit this thing because it's mm. huge. It's like looming overhead. I remember having to suddenly think about oh, I've got to use the geometry of the town, like get up on these second story walkways. I didn't know why they existed. Now I know why they exist. Mm. So I can go up there and hit the thing when it comes across. Ken, how did you feel about this combat section? Honestly, like I didn't, 
it didn't really stick out to me that much mechanically, and I think it was more so, I don't feel like, I, and again, this is just like, the, the theme of, of this uh, season so far has been me realizing that I don't know why things are the way they are, and then asking this question, and then you go, hmm, who could say? Because, uh, like, I, I've, I've been wondering, like, is there a theme to the shades as, like, an entity, like, in, in terms of, like, design? Because, like, right now, conceptually, they just seem like a kind of amorphous thing that can be whatever the game needs it to be for a set piece. Oh, do you mean like, is there a reason why a shade is shaped a certain way or something right. like that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's actually a very good question. I think, I think you could probably read some symbolism into some of them that will make more sense when you're there. Uh, sure. I don't know that a lot of these ones that we're seeing right now are super symbolic. Like, like when I think of a symbolic, enemy in the near series i think of the singing robot in automata which yeah. you know the whole theme around that robot and and uh wanting to sing and all that kind of stuff that we'll talk about when we get to that uh i there are kind of ideas like that here in replicant i do think we see more of that in the latter half of the game mm-hmm. i think the first half is very at least where we are right now is very uh, here are the shades. You need to stab them. <laughs> yeah, because like that—that that was kind of the feeling I was starting to. Because like it feels very much like a, like the angels of Evangelion, where it kind of feels more. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like there's, there might be like more, more like deeper reading to be done to that, but a lot of it feels like they wanted to like it's more like set piece design more yeah. ahead of creature design, and I don't know how much that holds up throughout the game, but that's just kind of the, the sense I'm getting right now. Like some of it does like lean on the Ava like hashtag fake deep kind of symbolism that a lot of it's doing, but I know that you're definitely coming up on one of the like more like I guess profound like sure. shades or illusions that are coming up like kind of like after this part. So there's still some stuff gotcha. in there. Absolutely, yeah. Well, we'll have stuff to talk about that soon. Uh, I I think also Evangelion is a fitting reference, not just for the like I'm 14 and this is deep stuff, but like. <laughs> Also, that is a show where you can very, you, you can see the curve that it takes as those angels start to turn from fun monster of the week or interesting problem that the pilots have to solve to these are reflections of how messed up we all are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And they are going to attack us in, in ways that directly target our own insecurities. Shout outs to the Hallelujah Chorus Angel, my favorite. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, it's it, a lot of that stuff. Uh, I think has the same curve, so to speak. Uh, anyways, our attacks are mostly ineffective at this point, but our good pal Kaine shows up and backs yeah. us up. Says, "Just keep attacking, and it'll eventually work." <laughs> it's like, awesome! Thanks for your contribution. <laughs> we love, we love determination. Mm. <laughs> Uh, so we just continue hitting that shade as it kind of lurches closer and closer to the library. This is a very weird segment I found, even watching Ken play it again, because it's one where the shade does need to kind of reach a certain point uh, for the section to end, so to speak. So even if you are like doing the section correctly, the shade still needs to kind of like make a march through a certain mm-hmm. section of the town just to get to where the game is like, okay, now we proceed to the next segment. And it does feel a little bit scripted in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, like you're dealing our, like cutscene damage to it, but it's still exactly. like going to have a full health bar later. 
exactly and, and like oh i can hit it as much as i want but it doesn't really matter whether i like do enough damage now i just have to do the minimum required damage and then once it reaches the next point then we'll start the cutscene, and the next part of this fight will start um we we continue beating down as on the shade as it lurches towards the library eventually pulling off a massive series of team up attacks and bringing it down i do find i really love the effects of the sealed verses when you have those moments that near pauses to like power up and spin up grimoire vice and you see these giant shards or fists or or spears come flying out and it's just this big glorious attack but it's also so like it doesn't look pretty you know mm. it's i think a lot about how how different i guess this is going back to anime this is just gonna be an anime episode now uh <laughs> anime loves to display power in different ways and how powers work and sometimes they are very glorified and pretty where you have like a kamehameha that is this big blue beam of of power and energy or a spirit bomb and it's this like sun that is like glowing and you're like yeah goku and then you see things like chainsaw man or attack on titan where there is like bodily mutilation involved in mm. using these skills and they each come with like not not just a visible like tangible penance for using the power but like you can feel that this is a magic that is not to be trifled with you know it's it's or in jujutsu kaisen does it super well too where it's like when they use cursed powers it really does feel like the user is taking something out of themselves to do it and i feel that mm. every time you see these powers from Grimoire vice that you're like oh this is this is not happy magic this is not uh sailor you know sailor moon type magic where we're using the the powers of friendship or anything this is like mm -hmm. oh this is dark magic this is we're, this we're is magic. It. <laughs> oh yeah yeah oh <laughs> this is this is good reference or good uh, podcast I'm, for anime references yeah. <laughs> i'm an encyclopedia <laughs> <laughs> um but we bring down the giant shade and then we hear screams inside the library and the team heads in to find shades in there with Emil trying to hold them back. And, and, and Emil is, has found some new purpose in Kaine's words after they had that little chat last time mm. at the mansion insists that he wants to fight alongside them and says, let's take care of these shit hogs. <laughs> and like when your nephew like, is like yeah. learn to swear and it's like, Oh shit. I did that. <laughs> but, but Kaine's proud of it Kaine's like mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> um, it's a really affirming moment for Emil I think where suddenly he has this standing and I do like this moment because I, I've said before that I think the big thing that makes Near Replicant interesting to me over Near or, or I guess what its strength compared to Automata is that it feels like a party it feels mm -hmm. like more like an RPG party unless like you're dealing with individual characters, the way the automata is very singularly focused on its characters. Uh, and I, this is the party coming together moment. This is, we're all just yeah. brawling inside the library fighting and scrapping and everybody's using their magic and their powers and stuff. And it's great. I love it. it mm -hmm. And it definitely based on my recollection, it feels like automata was very much structured around all its characters, not being together. Like that was the core part of its structure was that mm. you saw things from different perspectives because uh, nobody was near each other for chunks of that game. Mm, I'd say like least, route. Yeah. Seeing route like a was very. Go ahead. 
<laughs> oh yeah or at least like also seeing like the same like situations but from a different perspective and like yeah that's a lot mm-hmm. of the earlier routes mm-hmm. yeah route a is very much like you have a lot of uh 9s and 2b hanging out although there are like significant chunks where 2b is incapacitated or just apart from uh the other character and I, I do think that obviously once you get to later parts of that game, then it becomes very much like every character is doing their own thing and, and operating on their own. Uh, and that is kind of the difference here. I think, especially once we hit this point that these characters have now come together. And even in previous sections, we have seen like you have long sections where Kaine is hanging out with you and just like journeying with you. And and sometimes they'll come up with creative excuses for why I say like, Kaine doesn't walk into the the forest of myth and stuff like that, or or you don't have like a co-op partner in this particular section, or they run off to go do something else somewhere else and then show up later. But it does feel like you are journeying with more of a group than I think mm. Nier Automata ever did. Um so after we have our big brawl in the middle of the the library, the nasty shade shows back up again and starts causing even more problems. And Vice suggests knocking it down to the basement, which, first of all, we have a basement. <laughs> Second of all, um, you know, can you go down there? Who's to I say? Don't remember. Yeah. Uh, it was like I never tried. The... Well, I mean, you might later, sure, but like, I mean, I yeah. didn't remember if there was that was where we could have gone up to this point. Oh yeah, you can't go in there mm-hmm. at this point. Um, I actually don't remember if you go down there. I'm trying to remember exactly how this next section goes, but. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so they they're like, oh, if we knock it down into the basement, we can't kill it, but maybe we can lock it down there, That's and and then we won't have later. to think about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we can just save it for later. <laughs> I do like how straightforward this idea is. Mm-hmm. Like, well, if we can't beat it up now, we can always beat it up later. <laughs> like the equivalent of like taking Honestly, ice from the fridge and kicking it under instead of picking up and throwing it away. It's like, well, <laughs> be a problem for later. <laughs> exactly. And so Kaine, they they knock it down uh to the basement and uh Kaine runs over to hold the door shut. And they're going to lock it. Nier is running over to give her the key. And then all of a sudden is stabbed in the guts. A mysterious being decked out in shadow and red starts dashing about, eventually descending with Yona in a book of his own and starts summoning more shades from the blood spilled around the floor of the library. And they all turn and bow to him. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I, I I love this reveal. It's it's really great. I, mm-hmm. It's just... I, it's the moment where you have this team coming together and they're working together and you're like, yeah, beat the giant shade. They're really tough, but with the power of all of us, we can do it. And then a character just shows up as like, you have no idea what you are messing mm-hmm. around with right now. Like, you don't even know what power scale we are operating on mm-hmm. right now. And and I love it. Um, Isaiah, how about you? I love it too. It's like in my head because just predisposed like to weeb shit. Like it's like almost akin to like the bleach moment and like the like first kind of like big like soul society arc where like you get the theme song playing. Number one's playing Ichigo's got like 
everyone behind him. He's about to take down Aizen. Mm-hmm. The theme song stops in its tracks when Aizen just like finger blocks like the big sword attack. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like character established, tone set. We are not ready for this. He like came prepared for the smoke. And that's kind of what this scene was too, where like you finally have like, these characters who like, one, I guess an interesting note for me personally with this scene is that um, Kaine and like um, Emil like kind of weren't allowed in the village to begin with up until this point, but like now they're here to like help try to save I, it, and like it's like this like desperate kind of like fight, and you like kind of feel like maybe we can pull it off, and it's like oh no, other things are happening, and we're just kind of like seeing like the run time for the rest of the game like is further away than you thought, and it's like oh okay, yeah, I'm I'm trying to remember how much we've heard about the Kaine and Emil stuff up to this point because I think we've just had the Kaine scene at this point where Kaine is like, I don't feel comfortable going in there. Uh, mm. It's like not a thing that she wants to do. Um, I think this is the first time we've seen Emil in the village, but yeah, you're right. This is like a big mm. moment of like all of them converging uh, together and uh, in, in fighting. And then all of a sudden just boom, it all goes bad. What about you, Ken? I mean, like y'all were saying, it kind of feels like this moment of like a turning point for the game because like it, it's just like another moment where the game's like oh i actually have no idea what's going on i have like no preconceived notions about what's going on anymore um and that i mean both by what we're fighting here in the village and how everybody's come together for this big moment that is going to result in what it does reaffirming that all the questions that i have are never going to get answered anytime soon <laughs> Oh, I can't wait to start to talk about just the things that happen in the immediate time skip after this mm-hmm. <laughs> and how they raise even more questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, some more exposition as the other book starts to force lightning zap Weiss and near and kind can't help as she's busy holding the door shut. Uh, and Weiss is drawn into this other world where he has kind of a telepathic communication with the other book, which turns out to be Grimoire Noir. So now the books are here and Noir is like pissed at Vice. He's like, do you not remember? We serve a higher purpose. We are mere books created to serve the shadow Lord. Do you remember our ultimate goal? White and black shall fuse to one and set free the shades of the world. Uh, and Noir reveals that Weiss's discovery by near and the collection of the sealed verses. All of this was part of the shadow Lord, the, the one doing the stabbing <laughs> part of the shadow Lord's plan. And now Noir wants to merge back with vice to become one and uh, basically lay out, you know, their ultimate plan and, and enact their ultimate plan. Uh, and, and vice falters wavers has, has moments of doubt of, of has this all been what I'm ultimately meant to do. And then kind dunks on him so hard. He <laughs> comes back to his senses God, I love Kaine. This is a friend of the show, Jesse Vitelli, is one of his favorite just sequences in all of near replicants. So I have to shout him out here that this this speech where she just relentlessly dunks on him is like, are you going to have your mind changed by a book and shit like that uh, is really, really good. Um, I mean, damn, Kaine, some people should read books to have their mind changed. She's just logic bombs. I'm just like, oh, you're glazing up this mm-hmm. book and all this stuff. And ooh, you're Shadow Lord. Like, <laughs> it's like, Jesus. One sided rap battle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I, off, I went to go washed. look up the. 
I went to go look up the the quote in full, um, and it everyone just knows it as Vice, you dumbass. <laughs> but, uh, the quote in full is Vice, you dumbass. Start making sense, you rotten book, or you're gonna be sorry. Maybe I'll rip your pages out one by one, or maybe I'll put you in the goddamn furnace. How can someone with such a big smart brain get hypnotized like a little bitch? Huh? Oh, Shadow Lord. I love you, Shadow Lord. Come over here and give Vice a big sloppy kiss, Shadow Lord. <laughs> now pull your head out of your goddamn ass and start fucking helping us. Aw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a classic. Mm. Classic. Um. Anyways. Emil also calls out. He's like, Vice, come back to us. <laughs> In his own way. Um. And and near stands still bleeding, and Vice comes to his side and says, "For the last time, my name is Grimoire Vice, and it shall not be, and is not to be abbreviated." Um, and and they manage to uh, hold off Noir. Vice asserts that he wants to stay with his friends here, the ones that he's found on this journey thus far. And near and Vice prepare to fight, but all their magical power has been stolen. You don't have any more magic, Ken. What are you gonna do? You set up that <laughs> that special back paddle controller thing just to hold down the shoot button, and now it's completely worthless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I, God I, forbid I have to hit something with a sword. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just like that. They, you'd spend this whole game with basically like your back paddle holding down the shoot button. It's great. <laughs> um, but uh, as they beat Noir up, they gradually recover their entire set of verses uh, a neat little just I this is a thing that I think is just very common in, in Yoko Taro's work is just having stuff where you do a thing to recover lost power or the gameplay mechanic just in some way ties into what is happening in the story. So you have lost your power and need to literally like rest it back from uh, Noir's control. And so you have to physically during the fight just hit the book and pick the sealed verses up and gradually restore the abilities you have instead of having it be. Uh, given back in a cutscene or something that just feels very, mm. very Yoko Taro. Um, mm. Near runs to uh, try and stop a spike that's going to hit Vice, getting stabbed in the gut in the process. Once again, our boy taking stabs <laughs> all over the place. Um, and as he struggles, the Shadow Lord rises and flies away with Grimoire Noir and Yona in tow. Uh, and then Kaine. As, as they're all sitting there realizing how much they've just gotten their asses kicked, Kaine from the back says, the fight's over and I think we lost. Sorry guys, <laughs> I think this is it for me too. Mm. Uh, we realize that she is still holding that door shut. Mm. Um, Emil does not want to seem to run over and just pick up the key and lock the door. That's That's maybe a part of this game that I've never really fully interrogated, but theoretically he should still have the key nearby and be able to lock it at this point but i don't know would what's the key going on. be like would the lock be enough you think maybe i feel like there's also an implication there's an implication that maybe just locking the door is not enough because this monster is doing like real damage to it and also mm -hmm. uh i th i felt like the last time i saw this there was like a subtle implication that kaine was also harmed in some way i i might be misremembering that but there was like an implication that her her strength was fading or something and and basically like she was not hanging on as much um we'll see how that pans out but mm -hmm. uh emil 
Emil realizes what's going on, and Kaine asks Emil to petrify her, to freeze the shade in the basement, and petrify the whole door with her on it. And because this is a near game, you gotta choose the dialogue choice to do it. <laughs> and you can actually just repeatedly say, no, I don't want to do this, and the game will be like, sorry, you gotta do this, and you also gotta be the one that says that you want to do this. <laughs> um, yeah, this this part gets me every time. Uh, Emil taking off the blindfold and looking at Kaine and her getting slowly petrified as it creeps over the door, and uh, Kaine says, don't cry, grow strong, never lose hope. Um, it's a surprisingly warm moment from an otherwise very aggressive and um, outspoken character as we have just mm -hmm. seen and I think really solidifies that relationship that they had had that started with the mansion and, and them talking and now mm -hmm. here as uh, she is turned to stone and just like that our party is, is down to three uh, Ken how you feeling here the 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 visual of kind of like you know, turned to stone and held up against this wall is, I think, probably one of the most, like, visually striking, like, pieces of iconography of this game for me so far. Because mm -hmm. I, I still don't feel like there's a... I mean, sure, sure, we've been to, like, a lot of very, like, visually distinct places and seen a lot of really interesting set pieces kind of play out, but I think in terms of, like, an actual sort of, like, visual moment that has stuck with me, I think that's the first thus far. Um, mm -hmm. But it's just because, like, even... Even if I happen to know the way things are going to go uh, in later parts of this game, like th that feeling, that sort of like, having somebody's legacy kind of uh, literally put into stone uh, in a place is really, really powerful to me, like really striking, really kind of embodies what I Because, I mean, it's really been like Kaine's way in this game to be this very, uh, you know, this very cold, very angry person that really felt like she was kind of out for herself and then you know that has sort of been the layers that we've been peeling back throughout this whole game and to like have this thing that kind of like again like carves into stone who she actually was is just like a really kind of powerful thing in the midst of a otherwise kind of hopeless and awful feeling moment yeah i i think kaine is such an interesting character and this is like a powerful moment and, and like you said i it's it's hard not to notice certain things even just on the box art of this game and be like oh ha huh, ha huh. okay but i i think even still this this moment where emil is is forced to do something like this to someone that has shown him such kindness and and recognition in a way that he has not uh maybe tangibly felt before uh you know we see all of you know the way he lives at the mansion surrounded by um all these all these reminders of what his life is like and and uh just kind of how how much of a bummer it is that he's got this curse and then he meets someone who makes him feel very confident in who he is and and uh what he can be uh even when living with this curse and uh to suddenly have to do something like this to, to enact that curse upon someone who gave him such a kindness is such a like affecting moment um really hits me every time uh I really, really like these characters, Emil and Kaine. I think they're like the the height of this game for me. Mm. And and uh yeah, this is this is one of the the better moments of the game with them, I think. 
Um, for mostly for me, it's just like kind of a heartwarming moment just to like kind of see because like we saw in like the previous scenes where like they just had like a kind of private little moment together uh, outside of Emile's like castle and just kind of like see them like come together as like, I guess the whole group is like kind of just like outcast mm-hmm. in their own right. But just for them to have that like moment together, it was just like a really touching moment given how like diametrically opposed each of their personalities are, how they could just like find this like commonality with each other and just like, I guess, trust that somehow this whole dire situation is going to work out in the end. Mm-hmm. I do think one of the more interesting reads on this game, especially even up to this point is how each of these characters are outcasts in their own ways. Um, I was noticing it more this time around, but the way that Nier and Yona kind of live in their own house, separate from the rest of the town that is like distinctly <laughs> like across the the pond <laughs> that near cannot swim in um and uh then you obviously have kine who is more 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 overtly an outcast uh and so is emil uh and, and grimoire vice rejects kind of his his other half so to speak in the section and you do kind of end up with this party of of outcasts of, of people who are outside the the lines of what the rest of society is doing and it's it's cool to kind of look at all these characters through that lens and how their journeys begin to intersect and line up with each other and then they start to have a profound effect on each other the way that kaine mm. had on emil and then emil has to freeze kaine and it's very sad <laughs> uh and so near losing his strength says way for me yona way for me kaine I swear. And then the camera pans up to sunlight coming in through the roof. We have an opportunity to save our progress. Another <laughs> weird loading screen. And now five years later, <laughs> uh, we could have stopped it right at the save screen, but I really wanted Ken to just get this little taste of the time skip. Uh, so we are now five years later. Uh, we see a woman weeping over a dead body as armored shades shades wearing all kinds of clanky armor and stuff close in on her and suddenly a visibly older near <laughs> leaps in and strikes them all down and the game says you may now use two-handed swords and spears <laughs> and you get this combat section where now shades can block things and they have armor they're a little bit scrappier they do that little hop i love the shade hop they start getting <laughs> it here where they just kind of hop up and down before striking and it it makes me happy every time i see it um but ken you've only had this brief taste of combat here but did it feel at all substantially different from you know what you had been doing in let's call it part one it definitely felt like i had more to consider and which has kind of been something that i've both both in Automata and in the early parts of Replicant was has always been something I had never really felt in these games. Um, because I, I think that's kind of been one of my larger issues with both of these is that coming from, you know, a character action game background, uh, like, you know, I was big on Devil May Cry for a lot, long time, um, played a lot of Bayonetta, you know, things of that nature, where it feels like you're having to make a lot of more active decisions within the moment. Uh, it, it never really felt like that with Nier. It felt like all of it's sort of uh, the things that made it different were just a lot of kind of set dressing more than more than anything else. Mm. Um, so immediately, like that was already speaking in my language. That was already 
you know, made me more interested in the actual act of playing this game than anything else. Interesting. Isaiah, what about you? What do you think about the combat at this point? And, and do you have a particular favorite weapon now that we can talk about the full arsenal of weapons that, that mm. Nier utilizes? I like up until this point, like a lot of it had just been like kind of like more with uh, what Kenneth was saying, where a lot of it just felt more like kind of turn off your brainy, like hack mm-hmm. and slashy for a bit, but like slightly less intuitive or like a little more sluggish. And I was like kind of like more like, I guess, predisposed to like expecting from other game series. But like up until this point, like I think like I just really like the big giant fist wind up where like gradually you can get mm-hmm. more fists the more you hold it back. That's just a a really simple thing but it just was like one that i just really enjoyed from it but like up until this point this really felt like the like almost like removing a limiter kind of a thing that the game and like kind of place on you just be like hey you can like do will now if you want <laughs> it's just like a, the game is gonna ramp up its challenges a little bit more so you have to like i guess you have a little bit more of a like way to like freestyle how you like to approach combat more so than like i guess in other games where there's still that freestyle like ability to it, but like this kind of felt like you got a lot of tools to work with, I guess in a sense. So it's some less for like style points, but more just for like the more you beat up on these guys, I guess you're going to gradually want to get a little bit more creative with how you do it. So this is kind of like will open my eyes a little bit to just be like, okay, so there's like kind of more to chew on here mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I really, once this opened up, I think I swapped to the spear and never really looked back. Uh, I love, the way the spear handles in this game specifically, because it feels a lot like a, a another weapon in near automata that we'll get to. But uh, I do think that even though I didn't always swap around the weapons a ton or anything, this is when the game did start to feel like it had a little bit more going on in the action department. And it certainly starts to ramp up as I think one of the nicer things is that the enemies become a little bit more troublesome to deal mm-hmm. with in a good way. Uh, yeah. having having some foes that actually hit back and have different sorts of options for attacking you or defending themselves and things like that definitely adds to the variety and, and makes the the fights a little bit more interesting and so we we get some of that here uh and as we wipe all of them out the older near and and vice kind of lament that uh the world has just been getting into a a sorry state Vice says, this village of yours seems to be changing for the worse. Uh, Shades have been getting more and more aggressive. And Nier has spent uh, the last five years uh, searching for Yona. uh, All the while, just unable to really find anything, it seems. Uh, And they say, this world is winding down between the Shades and the Black Scrawl. There won't be anyone left soon. And Vice comments, it's time to go see Popola. And that's where we stop it. We do have a mm-hmm. recurrence here of the Black Scrawl, which was the the thing that was infecting Yona, and now we get the sense that it is not just a Yona problem anymore, and that the Shades are obviously becoming more aggressive. I mean, we used to have the, the town be the safe place that had gates and stuff like that, and we just fought Shades in the middle of the town, just like near the well that Devil and Popola used to play music at. So, like, very obviously the world has tonally shifted here uh ken there was something you wanted to put a pin in we'll now take that pin out uh you wanted to ask something about uh the loading screens i believe uh i mean it wasn't even specifically that it's just more like okay the, the, the root of the thing why is he fucking older now like why after like a thousand years of whatever the fuck the the flash forward was he didn't age a day and now suddenly that he's aged five years 
and <laughs> nobody seems to acknowledge like that he was around for a thousand years and didn't age a day and I don't get it. I, I would like an explanation. <laughs> I, I want to know why mystery. like it's, like it's one of mystery one of Mouse Yoko Taro's later. Yeah, one of Yoko Taro's great mysteries. <laughs> mm. That's um, honestly like one of my favorite things that like even like newer contemporary anime like kind of mess with this idea too because I know that um I guess uh, branch a little bit like the new Gundam anime did a thing where like they like released this like pre like prequel ish like thing on YouTube where it's like here is a specific year in time and here are the characters here is a show and it's like this many years has passed I'm like but. The numbers they aren't numbering they're adding up what do you mean this character is still around or is still here but this much mm-hmm. time has passed and you're telling me that this is like how old they are so like it's one of those things where like it's like i'm not gonna say or compare that it's like a like hero odo one piece like put a pin in that for later this will be important later just you now know to pay attention to this as like a thing to like sort of signpost as but it's like one of the like few that this game kind of does and pulls off pretty well i think oh yeah yeah, I, I think the coolest thing about Near Replicant is I think it gets the mystery box right. Like mm-hmm. Near Automata is a story that's about kind of just the state of the world and unraveling why things have gotten to that point. I do think Near Replicant has a lot of those same vibes, but I think there are like core central mysteries to Near Replicant and the way that it finds and manages to link all of them together and tell you a cohesive story while making you sort of ruminate on all these different things in the background and then how it incorporates them all as you learn more and you play more and you get deeper into it uh, i think it pulls it off in a way that is very impressive and very very well Mm. done uh and i will say we're like we're at the part of the game now where we're gonna start to see some of those things start to unravel a little bit i think Mm. you're gonna start feeling slightly less lost with each episode Mm -hmm. we do from here on out is what i will say and we're also going to get to i i like part one of near replicant it feels very warm comforting like you know rpg journey with my pals but i this might be controversial i don't know the things that people like near replicant for happen in part two (laughs) like even I will outright say that when we start this game again to do the additional endings and things like that, the game overtly puts you in part two. <laughs> like you do not have mm-hmm. to do part one again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that like, like essentially we are through the ultra extended. We're through season one and now it's time for the Shibuya incident. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. time. It's time for hidden inventory, baby. <laughs> Let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the the fun answer to that could also be that they finally gave Nier a good glow up because I'm gonna be honest, wasn't a big fan of like Child Nier's previous character design. As Boy much. Nier shorts, it's like are, a cool little are hilarious. <laughs> I love Boy Nier shorts so much. <laughs> There's like a Torky the shorts. <laughs> is now near the man. He's got uh-huh. a little bass in his voice, and he's he's angry. Uh-huh. <laughs> Oh, there there are a lot of great clips of people playing near replicant for the first time, and then uh, adult near shows up, and everyone's like, "Oh, oh, oh my, <laughs> <laughs> like, okay." As opposed to like near gestalt, like the previous version of the game, where it's like the old man near, where it's like, "Well, he's like a little wrinklier now, but <laughs> he lost. He does lose an eye. I think I think he shows mm-hmm. up with an eye patch, and that is how they have 
shown that time has passed for him is like uh near grows up and and more obviously ages and then uh daddy near uh slightly ages and loses an eyeball <laughs> mm. <laughs> that's that's the story um i guess as we wrap up here any closing thoughts on near replicant isaiah mm. i guess my main thing is that like i guess to talk about like just the different like twists and like spins and stuff like that that like yoko taro is like kind of known for like it's got to the point now with like his other stuff like i know like his like different mobile games stuff like that there's always like the waiting for the catch or the other shoe to drop on like all right you've established that this is the weird premise of this thing that we're playing when are you gonna like get like irl arg type of like shoehorn something else in there where it just kind of like turns everything on its head like at a point it does like admittedly get a little bit gimmicky but this is like kind of the moment where like i guess before it became a little passe it just became like a cool like profound thing that he would do in a lot of his work so mm-hmm. this is like for me like one of the like earlier things like okay this twist is like kind of interesting that like things that we thought in the earlier hours of the game as like the norm aren't the norm so it just kind of has you like questioning what else have i been doing that like i feel like has been the norm is like unorthodox or something else is amiss so mm-hmm. it's one of those cool things that like i feel like not many games take the risk to like do like loop type of gameplay things that often are that hard early on that kind of feels like for another any other game would feel like padding to like kind of pay off in such a like big way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the I think the pacing of Dear Replicant and how it doles the stuff out is is very, very good. And it is interesting, like you said, kind of going back and seeing an earlier work, um, especially from the time period that it came out in. I know we've talked about this a little bit, but this was in a PlayStation 3, Xbox 360 game in, in 2010. And I do feel like designers have almost maybe been going back to this era and looking at some of the, the stranger, uh, more out there ideas that were happening because we just had Alan Wake 2 come out, which was also a 2010 video game. And, uh, or its predecessor, I should say, it's a 20, 2010 video game. Uh, and I feel like going back to these these games is really interesting to see in an era that I predominantly associate with Gears of War and Halo and stuff like that uh, to see that Yoko Taro and crew were doing things like this were creating things like mm-hmm. this and and mm-hmm. we're thinking about story in these ways because I you know I don't mean to sound down on this era of game development but I do think it was a very like it, it was it was the era of these games that just wanted to be not flashy I, i'm struggling to find the words but they were they were very like, like a big spectacle kind of yeah spectacle we were starting to get more enamored with the spectacle something that would then carry over into the ps4 era in a more tangible way i think but this was the era of a lot of just multiplayer and online stuff and a lot of games that were very um mass market appeal i guess i would say is probably what i'm looking for uh things Mm -hmm. that are very easily marketable to a crowd and are are kind of intended to be played by a lot of people um and and i say that as somebody that does love a lot of the early halos and things like that but uh to see a game like this that feels very different that feels uh very out there in terms of the things is asking of the player and asking the player to grapple with its story in a more 
hands-on way than somebody might grapple with the story of a Gears of War. Like I love, I love the big hulking fridge men made of meat and and their <laughs> their chainsaw guns, but it's the story's not that deep. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's not it's not pulling some of the same stuff here. Um, another another piece of this puzzle that I want to make sure we shout it out here is the music uh, from Heiji Okabe and crew. Um, especially in, in the more dramatic moments of this section and moving forward. Uh, the music of, of Nier has always been incredible. The music of Drakengard has always been incredible. And uh, it it really sings moving forward. We get some great themes, uh, some great late motifs that, that get brought in and used and, and pulled out right at the right time to tug on your heartstrings. And, ah. Oh. Near, near mm. replicant. What a video game! If you'll allow me, there's like a story specifically about the music that I would be excited to share. That's like happened to me IRL. So, um, like I feel like it was about four or five ish years ago, something around there, where like the near orchestra had like announced that it was coming to Chicago, and so like that day, like I was like working in some like Chicago office in my college, and I like see a tweet from Yokotar being like. Oh, like some like innocuous tweet to just let people know that he is in the town. So he just took a picture of like some building skyline area. And I'm like, oh, he's probably like four or five blocks away from me. <laughs> so like I lamented on Twitter while I was listening to the near soundtrack during a kind of like misty rainy day. Just like, dang, kind of wish I can go to that concert. So I'm just listening to it at work or whatever. And I get a DM from like some random person who was like, hey, so I saw your tweet. And like, uh, I wanted to let you know that I have a, a free ticket to go see the concert. No shit. That's like, and the concert were like, and while I'm reading the tweet, it's like two hours from now. But like, uh, they were just like, I wouldn't, I wasn't gonna be able to make it to here, but I like wanted to make sure that another New York fan would be able to experience. So like, as soon as I get the things, like the whole ticket master stuff, immediately booked it to the like Blue Line like oh, yeah. train to get like directly to where that is. Like, I can like see me and a whole bunch of other like people who are like here for the New York concert, like kind of like shuffling down the like part of like the highway-ish area of like the like outskirts of chicago mm-hmm. to like get there and like this little penguin line and like this little misty rain as we go in this like windy like line to get into the um while we're inside to like get into the seating arrangement area got to listen to the near replicant soundtrack got to listen to some of the near automata soundtrack and they even played like some like of those little like specific you're here for this experience. We're adding a little more peppers of lore in there that weren't in the games mm-hmm. for that whole moment. And that was the, also the same concert where like Yoko Taro showed up and like had like some like lady who was cosplaying as like one of like I think 2B or something like that. Like asked him to like autograph her thigh and he got really flustered. That was the event <laughs> that that was all from. <laughs> so it was just like a really cool moment to just see like not only just have like this weird like experience to be like oh yeah a near fan like notice be also being lamenting as a near fan and be like hey like we like have to like make sure that like one we're really good at like not spoiling each other on things when we're like acutely aware that someone's into it we just like say as little as we can like mm-hmm. kind of like guide the hips as it were to like get people interested in it but then also like keep an eye out to be like hey this one or another person really likes new year's music and i have this ticket that i'm not gonna be able to go to and just like network to help that help happen which is like a weird like weird but cool like community moment with all that so yeah that like also cemented me being like this is the greatest soundtrack of all time i'm by the shirt and buy everything <laughs> of the well that was so sweet that, that what, was what a kind person a nice, oh yeah 
a nice note to to close this podcast out before we do <laughs> well well eric hold on real quick before do, oh. do you want that, that was a nice note do you want a bad note to uh put the podcast on <laughs> oh oh no uh, if you'll notice our notes are one are suddenly 130 pages long uh-huh no, no was no. that you that did the, okay for the, for the be, listeners i'm gonna be honest with you ken i don't know if this was me or not <laughs> for for the listeners somebody whether it was eric whether it was probably it could have been tatum who was the last other person in in this doc i think it might have been tatum <laughs> uh somebody has copy and pasted the entirety of the b-movie script into our notes <laughs> and you know in in another world where there weren't shortcuts to do things on uh, on like google docs uh this would have been a really big hassle but i can just hit edit select all delete and now it's gone mm-hmm. <laughs> can't believe you would just delete the b route like that we can't we can't do the b ending we, we skip ending b now yeah. <laughs> oh no i hope it wasn't super plot important uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are norm dfm for all of you at home who like listening to this podcast and support us first of all thank you so much we know that this has been a very strange couple months uh with everything that's been going on we've been trying to rally it together and deliver some stuff to y'all uh regardless of all that has been going on and we appreciate folks who have been sending us nice messages especially those of you who had us on your spotify wrapped we love seeing that it's it's really fun for us to see those numbers and, and see people sharing that uh even when we were gone for half the year i know right like maybe they just listen to our backlog which is massive by the way if you want to listen mm-hmm. to us talk about a bunch of bioware games and also a bunch of not bioware games we got a ton of that at this point just honestly more than i can ever keep up with at any given time uh if you want to support us, you can head to patreon.com slash normandyfm where we have what is essentially a Patreon tip jar where folks can give us whatever they feel they want to to just help us, you know, cover costs, keep the lights on, uh, and fund some of the dumb things that we do around here, including, I feel like we can just preemptively say this now, Ken, Let's we are it. planning to be at PAX East 2024. Uh, that is that is the plan. Uh, we don't know exactly in what capacity that will be uh ken and i will be repitching the one and only video game tinder panel and hopefully that goes through and we get to do that again because that was a blast last year we might even have another panel queued up to do as well uh we will see how that goes but i think you and i are both planning to be at uh pax east this year or this coming year i should say right that is the plan heck yeah so if you want to say hi meet up at one of our panels or something like that uh we would be more than happy to see y'all out there and do a little uh unofficial impromptu normandy fm uh meet and greet or whatever uh but if you want to back us if you want to support us uh that's where you can do it any amount gets you into the backer discord where you can hang out and chat with other folks who watch the show and and enjoy the things that we cover and if you back at the highest tier, you get your name shouted out on every episode up to the date of recording. And this episode, that list is John Warren, Andrea Sheeran, Joshua Jarvis, Seth Pitts, Darius Pippins, Shane Erickson, Cypress Catwell, and Christoph Weiss. Thank you all so much for contributing and, and uh, helping us do what we do here. Uh, Isaiah, before we go, 
plug some stuff mm. where can people find you ah, where can um, where can potential employers give you big bags of money <laughs> ah, now that i am former otaku of kotaku and rebranded otaku without borders uh, welcome up with that the, neat, welcome to the club of little former kotaku rebranding that's oh, great man imagine it under different circumstances but honestly that just feels you know it was a good two year two month run i guess <laughs> hey that's a that's um, a solid yeah. run under uh, under certain things you know <laughs> it's a yeah, solid run can't say much now but that severance check I, uh, eyes email <laughs> nervously yeah <laughs> but uh you guys can find me um on social media either at um isaiah is the phonetics of it so e-y-e-z-e-h-u-h-h or on twitter specifically Shin Isaiah, like Shin Godzilla, S-H-I-N-E-Y-E-Z-H-U-H-H. Potential uh, people who would like to hire me and give me money so I can write things and put them on the internet again uh, can find me at my email, which is E-Y-E-Z-E-H-U-H-H at gmail.com. Heck, yes. Y'all should go do that. Isaiah is a great writer on games and anime mm. and all things. Mm would be a cool christmas gift to see <laughs> that i will have a job <laughs> at the new year what I can i say want santa to bring me that w2 form <laughs> <laughs> oh for ken for isaiah for myself thank you so much for tuning in we will catch you next time when we pick back up with the time skip of near replicant and maybe even for another surprise episode of something else along the way who's to say who's to say what could happen in the future who's to say Ooh. we might be going down by the river down, down, mm. down by the river next time on Normandy FM. Mm.